We certainly hear the terms self-care and well-being often enough, even more so perhaps since the pandemic turned our lives upside down. But what do these concepts really mean and how are they related? Why has it never been more important for us to prioritise acts of self-care in our daily lives and in the lives of our children? And how do we practically go about it? Welcome to Illumin for Parents, where we talk about some of the highlights, the joys, but also the challenges that parents of adolescents encounter during these crucial years. I'm Jacinda Isler, Principal of Brisbane Girls Grammar School and your host. Tara McLaughlin is one of our clinical psychologists at Brisbane Girls Grammar School and a former student. Tara, welcome to Illumin. And as we begin, I'd love you to share a little about your experience and background and your role at our school. Thank you, Jacinda. I've worked as a school psychologist at Brisbane Girls Grammar School since 2015, and my role involves providing individual counselling to students, working collaboratively with parents and staff, and more recently, coordinating and facilitating wellness groups. I work as part of the Floriamas team, so with our other counsellors, nurses and receptionists, and I work closely with the heads of house and the dean of students as part of the student care team. Tara, one of the phrases or, or concepts that you use with students is the most important relationship we have is with ourselves. And of course, many of us recall the wonderful Oscar Wilde proclaiming, to love ourselves is the beginning of a lifelong romance. Why do you think it's so important to highlight this as a concept, you know, this belief to adolescents and particularly with teenage girls who are sometimes experiencing many emotions, anxieties and changes during these important years? Adolescent girls tend to prioritise the needs of others, particularly their peers, often to the detriment of their own well-being. So they will quite happily stay up late supporting a friend. They'll say yes to doing things even if they don't want to do them. And they'll often hold back on discussing problems with friends or family because they don't want to burden them. So I try to remind the girls that if they take care of themselves and they prioritise their needs, then they will be happier, healthier individuals and they will be able to invest more in their relationships. The saying you can't pour from an empty cup absolutely applies when it comes to self-care. And this term self-care, it's used frequently, of course, but it can mean very different things, can't it, to different people. I guess, Tara, from your perspective as a clinical psychologist, what does self-care mean to you and what acts of self-care do you think are the most important for adolescent girls? So to me, self-care means taking care of ourselves so we can stay physically, mentally and emotionally well. Self-care at its most basic level is taking care of ourselves physically. So having an early night, nourishing and moving our bodies, having a warm bath or putting on a face mask. However, it's so much more than these physical acts. And for adolescent girls, I believe that physical and emotional self-care are equally important. Emotional self-care is about being aware of emotions and taking the necessary steps to honour and care for these emotions. And this might look like putting their own needs first, maintaining healthy boundaries, protecting their emotional energy, asking for help, or simply spending time doing the things that they love. Self-care is going to be different for everyone because it's individualised and it's based on our innermost needs and values. And it really requires checking in and asking yourself what you need in a moment. You know, we might need to go for a walk or talk to a friend 
or perhaps have a rest. You know, it's going to be different for different people and it's going to be different for us on different days or in different moments throughout the day. So self-care certainly requires a lot of self-awareness, it seems. And another term, obviously, we hear so much about is well-being. Can you tell us what your belief is about well-being being, you've often said, not just part of life, but it's a way of life? And perhaps explain to us the relationship between self-care and well-being and how those concepts are very intimately connected. So well-being isn't just part of life because it's an entire state of being. It's a state of being comfortable, happy, healthy and fulfilled. And it's nurtured in everyday moments through intentional acts of self-care. In terms of the relationship between self-care and well-being, self-care is any activity that we engage in that enhances our well-being. When we practice self-care and we prioritise our needs, we are happier and healthier and we function well, which is the definition of of well-being. And... Tara, you've often spoken about the five foundations for radiant well-being, which does sound like a very appealing concept, I have to say. It evokes a great positivity and, and hopefulness, I think. Can you talk us through those five foundations? What are they and how do we incorporate them into our everyday routines and schedules when everyone has so many demands on their time? So I thought, could we start with the first, perhaps, cultivating rest and play? Unpack that for us. Sure. So play is time spent engaging in activities purely for enjoyment rather than having a serious purpose or uh, practical purpose. As humans, we have this biologically programmed need for play. However, somewhere between childhood and adulthood, we stop playing. In today's culture, where there's this tendency to base our worthiness on our level of productivity, time spent doing purposeless activities is rare. And often it's something that we feel quite uncomfortable doing. But the research demonstrates that play is beneficial for people of all ages. It adds joy to life, it relieves stress, it improves brain function, it boosts energy and creativity and it connects us to others. And for adolescent girls, spending time actively engaged in play might involve activities such as painting or dancing, singing, doing puzzles or playing board games. Rest is equally important, but the main barrier to being able to rest is that exhaustion tends to be considered as a status symbol of hard work and sleep is considered a luxury. The result being that we are seriously tired and overstressed, so we need to intentionally choose to rest and prioritise sleep. And this doesn't mean that we're lazy or weak or unproductive. It means that we value our health and wellbeing and that we want to take care of ourselves. And this is something that we can encourage and model for our children. There's the advice for parents right there, taking (laughs) notes, I hope. So tell us about the second foundation, and you refer to this as completing the stress cycle. What does that mean? So in our day-to-day lives, there are stressors and there is stress. So stressors are threats or perceived threats, and these can be internal or external. And then there's stress. So that's the neurological and physiological shift that happens in our bodies when we encounter a stressor. This is an evolutionary adaptive response. It's often referred to as the fight, flight or freeze response. So our minds can manage the stressors and on a cognitive level we might know that we are safe and okay, but our bodies continue to hold on to the stress until we are able to complete the stress response cycle and experience some kind of physiological shift. So there are seven evidence-based strategies for completing the stress cycle. The most effective way is through physical activity. Uh, Breathing is another because when we breathe calmly, our bodies know that we are safe. Uh, Positive social interaction is another because uh, friendly social interaction is often the first external sign that we're okay and that our world is safe. Mm. Laughter, physical affection, crying and creative expression are the others. 
So as most of us experience a stressor at least once a day, it's recommended that you attempt to use at least one of these strategies every 24 hours. And a lot of these things sound like they're coming from an external environment. And so I guess that feeds into the third foundation, which you talk about, which is centering the self, often hard to do. How would you take us through that stage? So our outer worlds can be really busy and stressful and chaotic. So when we feel the need for comfort and calm, we can always retreat within. We can make time to be still and quiet and to connect with ourselves. And we teach the girls to do this through breathing practices, through mindfulness and through journaling. So journaling is a very practical thing that people can do and hopefully it encourages, I guess, empathy towards oneself and to others. But the fourth foundation that you're talking about with our students is compassion and kindness. Why is that so important, Tara? We spend our lives pushing ourselves to do more, be better, work harder, and we often criticise ourselves when we fall short. Our inner critic pushes us to achieve and we worry that without it we'll lose motivation and not do anything. But self-criticism and perfectionism aren't necessary for success. You know, what makes us stronger are our persistence, our grit, our relationships and our ability to take care of ourselves. The antidote to self-criticism and perfectionism is self-compassion, which is about paying attention to our needs and responding with kindness, whether it be in the way that we speak to ourselves or through our actions. We teach the girls to practice self-compassion through the use of self-compassion mantras, through self-compassionate touch or loving-kindness meditations. And the whole idea is that eventually they'll learn to internalise that compassionate voice themselves and they won't need to rely on those strategies as much. It's such a sophisticated area of science and research, isn't it? Incredibly complex. And what you're talking about there a little bit is about paying attention to yourself and, and knowing yourself. And, and at the root of that is a certain curiosity, isn't it? So that fifth foundation that you talk about is about the importance of curiosity, but also gratitude. Yes, we can really benefit from cultivating those sensations of awe and wonder and curiosity. And this is based on the work of Dr Julia Baird and her book Phosphorescence. So it's about slowing down, you know, paying attention, spending time in nature and seeking new experiences. Gratitude, it's a concept that we're all familiar with and it's strongly and consistently associated with greater happiness and well-being. Being grateful doesn't mean that we ignore or we erase the difficult things, but it does allow us to acknowledge the good in life and to reframe our experiences. We might practice gratitude through gratitude journaling. This is something that we start with the Year 7s early on in their first year. And that might involve writing down three things that you're grateful for. It might be about writing about an experience that you've had throughout your day or perhaps writing a gratitude letter to someone that you're grateful for. We can also practice gratitude through uh, gratitude practices, meditations, mindfulness, that type of thing as well. And Tara, we listen to all of those things and we're all very aware that we need to do more, we need to perhaps pay more attention, but of course the greatest obstacle for most people is finding the time. How do you bring more practices of self-care into your lives when we sometimes feel like we don't have even a moment in the day to catch our breath? So what's your advice to those who think this, who think I'm too busy, I don't have time to deal with this, and how do they go about ensuring that self-care and therefore well-being actually becomes an integral, incredibly important part of their everyday life. I think it's worth mentioning that self-care doesn't need to be something that we schedule in and add to our to-do list. It isn't necessarily about adding on to our already busy lives. Sometimes it's actually about doing less instead of more. 
So my four tips for making time for self-care. We love tips. <laughs> Everyone's um, looking for the bullet point. Thank you, Tara. I thought I'd simplify. Yeah. So the first one is to just make a decision to prioritise self-care. And this may mean reallocating time, saying no, setting boundaries or giving yourself permission. I believe that self-care is always an option. And like anything in life, the more that we practice and attend to it, the more natural and effortless it becomes. The second tip is to develop a self-care plan. We do this with the girls and that's about setting some self-care goals and actually just planning out ways in which we might take care of ourselves physically, mentally and emotionally. The third tip is to start small. Every little bit counts and small incremental everyday routines can lead to significant positive change over time. And finally, ask for help. We need the support of others in order to take care of ourselves. As humans, we aren't built to do things alone. We're built to do them together. So it's really about supporting one another um, in order to be able to practice self-care and look after our well-being. Tara McLaughlin, thank you for sharing the theoretical underpinnings of all of these practices and your professional expertise. And for summarising, I guess, at the end, those four important things that we can all do to reallocate time, create a plan, start small, and as always, seek help. Thank you, Tara, for speaking with me today. You have been listening to Illumin, a podcast by Brisbane Girls Grammar School. To ensure you never miss an episode, please subscribe on iTunes or Google Play. And to learn more about the school, visit the website at www.bggs.qld.edu.au.